right. Okay, let's we'll give this a try. Let's see how it goes. Awesome. All right. Uh, all right, so I'm going to get started. Welcome to Why Not Change the World, the RPI podcast. I'm Mary Martilai, and on this episode, we're talking about social media and artificial intelligence. I'm here with Lydia Manaconda, an assistant professor in the Lally School of Management at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. Hi, Mary. And Tomek Strozelkowski, a professor of cognitive science at Rensselaer. Um, and I should say that you're both members of the Rensselaer IBM Artificial Intelligence Research Collaboration, which is a member of um, the IBM AI Horizons and is dedicated to advancing the science of artificial intelligence and enabling the use of AI and machine learning in research investigations, innovations, and applications of joint interest to both Rensselaer and IBM. So, Tomek, your research is in AI, natural language processing, and social linguistics. And Lydia, yours is in AI, natural language processing, and image processing. There's some common ground here and probably some huge differences. But I know that for both of you, the internet is central to your research. What kinds of problems are there with the internet that we can address with AI? Um, hi. Uh, um, so we, um, I'm particularly looking at how... Um, how people interact online and how language um, tells us what the relations between people are and how those relations between people can tell us again uh, how information was spread online and was it good information or bad information or disinformation and um, how we can um, how, how we can take a theories that we develop in social sciences and, and try them on online how they how they apply to online world yeah, totally agree with uh, what Tomek was saying. Um, <clears throat> essentially, what is internet? I mean, we have data from discussion forums, we have data from social media platforms, and uh, I mean, particularly, we work on social media platforms, and uh, I uh, always look at social media platforms as a very good venue where uh, users can hide their true identity, but they can be their true self, which comes with a lot of issues. Um, and um, um, so there are various sorts of um, problems that we face, uh, specifically in terms of, um, as you mentioned, good or bad. And uh, recent days, fake news is becoming more and more popular. So essentially, um, I was looking at two main aspects, like based on data type, uh, what kind of data poses problems, like for example, images or natural language text, and also reliability of information, like where is this data coming from? So for example, traditional uh, aspects like um, um, surveys and uh, various you know, um, carefully compiled data sets, or for example, that you and I work on social media data, which is coming from Twitter, uh, Reddit, or um, <coughs> Instagram, for example, from my side. So, um, Users are creating this data, but um, is it like genuinely posted data or data that's purposefully like to mislead people? So for example, disinformation. So where data is curated specifically to mislead other set of users and uh, create havoc in the society. There, there is this, uh, I agree completely. This is, uh, there is this uh, um, belief that um, the data that people leave online, right, especially right, in social right. media, that it is is more organic. It's mm -hmm. uh, it's not it's not digested by 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 other media, by official media. It's not a summary of something. It's not an right. aggregation. Right. It's it's more reflects direct um, opinions and uh, positions of of individual people. Um, but 
but we don't know how representative it is. You know, a, a Twitter user is not necessarily an average person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and the technology that is applied to this, the AI, um, why is super impressive. Um, it's also not really trustworthy yet. I mean, we, we can't trust it. That the, if the image recognition system can mistake a cat for a lawnmower, if an if image is slightly distorted, then what can we expect about some other things? We can distort any kind of information in any particular way and draw wrong conclusions, sometimes dangerous conclusions. And this is where we, as scientists, need to pay attention yeah. uh, to this. So it's a wonderful uh, that we have technology that can handle large volumes of data, mm-hmm. but we have to be very cautious what right. we get out of this. That's, those are brilliant examples that you gave, Tomek. And uh, yeah, especially when I deal with images, you know, we see a lot of times where there are these adversarial ex- examples. So you just change, let's say, uh, you have a um, husky puppy, okay? And uh, if there is snow in the background, you can classify that image as maybe um, wolf, like a snow wolf or something like that, but without. Uh, any snow in the background, maybe the classifier can classify that as a husky. So these are the kind of things. I mean, sometimes these are very hard for us as humans to even identify. And uh, I definitely agree with the fact that is it representative of the um, entire population that uh, whatever data that we are considering, is it uh, representative? And uh, the representation is exactly one of the things that we both agree. Right, Tomek? Yeah. Um, oh yes, and uh, it also raises all these issues of uh, uh, privacy mm-hmm. and uh, and ethics. Um, right. We are using data that people leave behind, but are they, are they comfortable that we're using it? And so, what can we infer mm-hmm. from this? Mm-hmm. Um, what can we infer about them from this? Not necessarily what they would expect. People leave data, which say, "Oh yeah, it's public. I don't care," but but they don't realize what we can infer from this, from bits and pieces. And so we need to be responsive, mm-hmm. <coughs> responsible for that. And we have to be responsive to uh, the issues of privacy and ethics and protection of the, of the data. So this is another big angle of the and big, big issue for AI. We're going we're gonna to get back to ethics and privacy. That's one of the questions further down on my list. But I hear you talking a lot about issues of trust on the internet and about bad actors and disinformation. Um, and a lot of people, especially at this moment, are very concerned about the opacity of the internet, at least on the surface. Um, it's hard to know what kind of information you can trust, whether we're talking about fake news, disinformation, or just bad intel. So um, there's no getting rid of the internet. And my question is, are we going to be able to get to a place where we can have trust in the information that we find online? And how, and you know, in a way, how does your research work towards that? I'm sure it's part of what you're thinking. It's a big issue. In fact, uh, our funders are, are increasingly concerned about this and how to protect vulnerable populations, societies, parts of our society from the bad influences. Uh, and and how to do this, not imposing censorship, for instance. We want this to be a free uh, medium of exchange of information that people can express themselves. People have different views. We have freedom of speech. Uh, At the same time, we want to protect people who are vulnerable from from influences that are harmful. And then how how do we know they are harmful? Because they have some 
effects on them? How do we protect them without censoring things? I'm, one of the potential possibilities for AI is to be sort of intermediary between internet and you, <laughs> being able to um, defend, protect vulnerable from undue influences that may be harmful. So this is one, one angle that we are taking and uh, looking at uh, how to deal with uh, this enormous open space, which is internet. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think we have to, we as AI researchers have to call for more um, trustworthy and responsible AI research. Essentially, with everything going on in the world right now, um, lots of uh, organizations and even countries, I mean, are using social media data to do surveillance on people. And how much are we comfortable with this? You know, we have to ask uh, these questions and especially um, the famous article by ProPublica in terms of how U.S. Uh, United States judicial system uses the um, <coughs> the algorithms, um, um, like for example, algorithms output to essentially categorize whether a particular individual based on their race, gender, or uh, various aspects that are related to an individual, uh, is it a small theft or a bigger theft or, I mean, or fraud or whatever, you know, uh, based on that, our systems are making judgments on in terms of evaluating uh, individuals in the current society. So essentially, we are using, um, leveraging this data that's being posted online and without hurting individuals and without hurting their freedom of speech, how can we build systems in terms of um, um, respecting individuals' privacy and uh, being ethical at the same time is very, very important. Um, both of you mentioned something about sort of the the internet serving as an intermediary, AI serving as an intermediary, and this would be the idea of having some sort of intermediary that's not censorship. But is it possible for humans to create a system that would not be biased and that would not in some way be censoring? We don't know. Well, we don't know. But there is a need for this. We are working currently on a project where we create an, uh, what I call alter ego for answering your email. Uh, and, and it would be just very helpful assistance that could answer email for you. Um, but it also protect you from spam and some other um, attempts to get money from you and things like that. Um, we can extend that concept to... Um, something that is, is able to um, navigate the information for you and it knows you better than anybody else um, is it biased or not yeah that's a big question <laughs> we don't know we don't know if we can do that um, possibly we can anything that comes between you and open information may have limiting effects that is it will we know that marketers ship to you. Actually, what you see on the internet is already pre-filtered very much already. That is, you're seeing things that um, some algorithms think that you should be seeing. Uh, that's not necessarily what you want to see, <laughs> but, but that's how it is. And maybe this should be improved. Maybe there is a way to um, make you a little less vulnerable to that. Um, so, yeah, that's a big question. There's still open-ended question at this time. Yeah, I would like to add something to that um, <clears throat> from the perspective of the domain that we are considering. For example, when we are talking about a system, so how are we going to use the system? You know, um, is it 
the system that we are going to use in everyday life, like based on individual, like personalized system, or is it something that's kind of like an aggregated system that can be used for uh, by everyone, uh, regardless of what their interests are, what their um, um, opinions are, what their you know daily lifestyle is. Are you kind of saying that the aggregated system is sort of like old style network news, where the whole country got the same news, mm-hmm. but the internet allows you to get the news you're only that you're interested in. So maybe that can be a very good example, or something like let's say for example weather. Weather is very common. I mean everybody uh, uses the weather in the, in the same manner. Like so for example I ask my uh, Amazon Alexa or maybe my phone, hey what's the weather like in New York City today? And it gives the same kind of response. And it's a very general topic. But there are some topics which are very personalized. Let's say, for example, uh, from the research that I do in terms of mental health, uh, not everybody are comfortable talking about that. So, But the kind of populations that are coming to these platforms to voice their opinions and voice their uh, inner um, feelings and whatever they are going through uh, can be very limited to this particular set of users. Or some other users who are specifically, let's say, talking about maybe... Um, um, let's say new dads, how to cope up with uh, dad life. And uh, that's very uh, singled out only to specific co- set of users. And so these systems are very uh, domain oriented in terms of, so there are some, what I'm trying to say is there are some systems which um, maybe biases might not be very um, a big issue, hmm. but there are some systems which are very, very crucial and false positives are very, it hurts individuals a lot. So that's what I'm trying to add. Does it make sense, Tom? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, so we're talking about, you know, bad things, mm-hmm. but they're also good things, right. obviously. They're right. also good things. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we, uh, Internet is a, is a wonderful source of information about about everybody, mm-hmm. and people who normally would not, you wouldn't know much about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can um, learn cultures and societies and habits and uh, preferences of, of some societies and uh, strange cultures and so forth. You can document that. You don't have to send scientists in the <laughs> field necessarily to be able to understand a little bit how how people think, or what are preferences, what they likes and dislikes, how they construct their lives, uh, what, what the meanings of, of certain words may be for them. Um, in this country and other countries, and that is a huge opportunity that can be done quickly. Whether this can be done correct, accurately, it's another story, but with everybody being feeding into that huge pool of information, um, that's an opportunity to learn about people and things that we normally would not know, uh, except maybe anthropologists. Well, that leads into my next question perfectly which is about the benefits of working with the internet and social media in your research, and in the same breath, the trade-offs between working with online sources instead of traditional sources of information like surveys, interviews, carefully compiled databases. So can you guys talk a little bit about that? Has that always been your stomping grounds? And um, what are are the benefits versus the trade-offs? So, um, so first of all, um, benefits. I love social media. I mean, not just as a researcher, but as an individual too, because data is so rich and uh, diverse. And um, um, at the same time, of course, bad things like fake news, disinformation, and so on. Um, 
so one thing i really uh, appreciate in social media platforms especially internet is the kind of data that's so rich and diverse which is very very important for ai systems so when we, whenever we talk about ai systems so first of all where is this data coming from and whenever we talk about biases uh, so definitely there's data bias and also algorithmic bias but uh, when we talk about data bias where is this data coming from and um, i look at this um, and i think tomic also agrees for some extent um, that much of the social media data is very uh, representative of lot of people i mean even though regardless like for example let's say maybe twitter um, so pew research does conducts this survey every year uh, what is the kind of populations that essentially use twitter or reddit or instagram and so on predominantly like for example instagram is being used mostly by teenagers or uh, reddit is mostly used by men and predominantly white men and uh, various aspects so regardless and i tomic actually talked about this uh, like it cannot i mean not an average person uses these social media platforms but i feel like compared to the traditional survey based approaches or carefully curated databases social media data is very very rich and that's one thing i uh, really like about and second thing is like i mentioned earlier um these are the venues where you can hide your true self which can lead both good and bad but looking from good perspective you can be your true self and share everything that you feel about or think about or you know share about but at the same time hide your true identity which again like i said both good or bad and um but looking from good perspective we can actually use this to build amazing technologies that can be used for various communities especially communities that are so vulnerable they are coming to these platforms and these are like their comfort zones where they are coming out and talking about various things but at the same time bad stuff is fake news bullying misinformation and um, trolls which is so um i mean it's very tedious and at the same time exhausting too for users so what uh, what do you think tomic oh yeah yeah absolutely that's uh, that these are some of the pitfalls working with the uh with the internet as a as a data source generally um the so social science traditionally works with smaller data sets just mm-hmm. because you have mm-hmm. only so many subjects mm-hmm. you can right um line up for your experiment but then you have to worry about things is this group representative of what i'm trying to do mm-hmm. uh is this large enough so mm-hmm. i can actually see the effect uh, you have to use statistical tools to make sure that the results are statistically significant mm-hmm. um that the whole thing is valid um well then you go to this huge data set that has you know millions or hundreds of millions of data points and say well well obviously i don't have to worry about the size because i have everybody here right and so i can just run my tools and and i get stuff out of it um i'm teaching a class right now when i i have students from computer science from different all over actually the the campus and i want to make sure that they understand that that is that is not enough mm-hmm. you still have to apply scientific <laughs> method you have to make sure that your data is representative that the results are valid mm-hmm. that the results are significant um it's not enough to run your algorithms over millions of data points and get something out of it you have to tell me what you got and so i'm making a very sensitive we read lots of papers and i criticize some of the papers that didn't do that i want to make students sensitive to that that they know that this is 
you know, they will be future scientists, and I want them to be really sensitive to that. That this is this is uh, what they need to be doing as scientists in the future. You know, you you guys, I assume, hold a very high standard for um, how you use information in your research. But anytime you go on the internet, you know, your your data is available for the larger world, and we all agree to goodness only knows what in the name of access to the internet. Is there such a thing as informed consent on the internet? Well, there, there isn't. So technically, um, th- that depends how you set up your experiment. You can do that. You can. Uh, we have uh, done such experiments where um, we created uh, access points for people to participate in the experiment, and they essentially that access point provides uh, informed consent. So you consent to participate in the experiment. That's a one situation when you design experiment, invite people to come. Uh, another is we collect information that is already out there, uh, for instance, Twitter or Facebook, where, where it is publicly available, and you just collect it. Then you don't ask for consent, and that's that's the problem. And so, the only way to defend against this is to is to all the <laughs> all the proof. Uh, and everything is on your side. You have to take responsibility for protecting that information. Sometimes we, it's enough to remove names and other identifying things. That may not be sufficient because algorithms can create all kinds of identity mm. uh, situations that you can still identify people. So then, even then, you still have to protect this data that you are using and um, we have all kinds of mechanisms for this. For instance, used during the project, we create um, some kind of statistical models, and then we destroy the data because um, you know because we use it for whatever it is, and then the models themselves are generic. Um, and so we have to be prepared to deal with that. Yeah, I definitely agree with uh, Tomic uh, from the perspective of I think what I would like to add is um, companies itself, like for example, let's say Twitter. Um, or Instagram, I mean Facebook, uh, they are taking a lot of um, steps to essentially create this sort of like, I mean, kind of a consent, not to be honest, a consent, but uh, so in terms of like, for example, Twitter doesn't allow you to download the data, I mean, public data and share it online. That's not allowed. Or right now, uh, Facebook is actually, especially Instagram, uh, they used to provide the API to let developers access the information through the API, but now they actually stopped uh, providing the API functionalities because they want to protect users' privacy. And now in order to crawl the Instagram data, you one of the ways is to essentially reach out to Instagram or maybe create a form where you have to get voluntary consent, uh, mentioning that I'm going to use your data set and uh, ask the user whether it's okay or not. So these are the kinds of things that the companies are also trying to step up and which is very important, I think, especially in the current um, privacy and uh, ethical perspectives, so just aspects. So. Yeah, and I think I think standards are definitely higher in academic institutions. Uh, also, because we are very often funded by federal government, and, and federal government also has to obey those standards. They are somewhat lesser or less observed in the industry, um, primarily because, um, especially, internet companies mm-hmm. um, use a lot of this information 
to sell this for advertising purposes. Right. And this is huge money. This is basically the income stream. This is right. this is what they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I still remember when mm-hmm. I used to work for General Electric Research, and uh, during those days with General Electric on NBC television, we were would go to meetings and some of the executives from NBC would ask us, what do you think NBC does for a living? <laughs> and so people would say all kinds of things, you know, make programs, news, whatever. They say, no, no, no. We sell eyeballs to advertisers. That's <laughs> our business. So we have to remember that the internet companies do sell eyeballs mm-hmm. to advertisers. Right. And uh, more than that, actually, now. I always remember that if you're not paying for the product, you are the oh, product. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think social media users should be aware of that fact that nothing comes for free, you know. <laughs> so um, presumably your work is aimed towards a better future. And I wanted, I was hoping you could both describe the sort of future you hope your work will contribute to. What kind of experience do you want people to have when they hop on the Internet? For me, um, I would aim for trustworthy AI uh, systems, especially where users are not losing their confidence in these systems. And uh, how are we going to do that? Um, I don't know, but one kind of possible solution is to bring humans into the loop and uh, building these kinds of hybrid systems where uh, humans add something and then machines understand that and at the same time there's some sort of like a collaboration between humans and machines in order to until there is a solution which can, which is very trustworthy and especially um, like we talked about um, various aspects also how are we going to use this data is very very important so data that is generated on internet um, I mean so creating some sort like for example um, is it being used for surveillance or you know uh, various other um, aspects by the governments or any other entities? And um, so to summarize that, creating trustworthy and fair systems uh, is very, very important. And at the same time, of course, uh, I always say that it depends on the kind of domain that you are working on too. So yeah. Yeah, I agree. And uh, in fact, AI, of to whatever extent uh, it works now, uh, already makes a lot of decisions for us when mm-hmm. we go on the internet. We we see things that um, are designed for us to see. Um, we pre- probably have no choice anyway. There, there's so much out there, and um, we have only so much time and energy to uh, put any effort in to dig any deeper. So AI or the companies that run those uh, internet uh, uh, services, they already make decisions for us. So the important thing is that these are beneficial things for us, that uh, we benefit from this. And it's not only an individual, but the whole society somehow benefits from these choices that are made for them. It mm-hmm. makes life easier, obviously. Removes things that are you don't need to worry about, but you brings up things that you should be aware of, uh, that help you with the work and so forth and so forth. So that's what we have to do. That that what we, what will we have to get to? Um, it may be working for some people already, but maybe not for everyone. And that's what we have to make sure that some people it, it is are excluded somehow from these benefits and. And they may not be even be able to speak up <laughs> and tell us that they are excluded. So we need to be able to make sure that that is not happening, that we, we have this equal access. And, and it's all beneficial. Yeah, 
I would like to add one other thing. So um, also a lot of times when we are actually building these systems, um, uh, design approaches are very important to how we are designing these systems and uh, <coughs> like especially user-centered design approaches. And um, um, I would like to add that um, especially in terms of intervention and uh, technology development, we have to investigate specific needs and constraints of the target users uh, as well as their uh, acceptability, utility, and interpretability of the system, so which is very, very important. And um, yeah, I think uh, this is a great discussion, Tomek, with you. Well, thank you. Yes, I absolutely agree with that. So. Um, well, there's a lot of work to do. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> and then, in fact, AI is not as smart as t people telling us it exactly. is. Exactly. Right? Right. So, it's uh, it's pretty dumb, actually. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so they, they they are frightening aspects of it. And mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. this is our responsibility to make sure that we use it wisely. It's mm -hmm. very strong and it's very powerful, but dumb. <laughs> so imagine the, the big wild animal right it has lots of strength but you know <laughs> very little in terms of consideration <laughs> of what it can damage right? That's, right that's what ai is now well that is the perfect note to go out on and that is all the time that we have so lydia and tomek thank you for joining us well thank, thank you for you. having us thank, thank you. you so much this episode of Why Not Change the World was recorded in the soloist suite of MPAC, the Curtis R. Priam Experimental Media and Performing Arts Center. Thank you to the MPAC staff for their assistance, and thank you for listening.